welcome to China Paradigm, a show powered by Dashi Consulting, where we interview seasoned entrepreneurs and experienced managers in China about their business and experience in the country. Hello everyone, I'm Matthew Debbie, the founder of Dash Consulting and this podcast China Paradigm where I interview entrepreneurs. And joining me today is Kai Hong, chairman and partner of Jing Digital. I have to say, um, I was pretty excited when Sophia was working at Dashway with, with me and preparing the, the podcast, uh, had you in the show. Because Jing Digital is one of China's most visible marketing automation platforms for me, as at least for international players in China. To give a bit of background, it was founded in 2014, and you present yourself as uh, providing brands with digital marketing opti optimization solutions through Jing Social Platform. I continue the presentation you are you are having in your in your in your documents. The platform enables brands to better understand customers and empowers brands to create valuable personal connections at scale. And I think the word at scale is very interesting. Personal connections at scale. That's what the CRM is doing. That's what was the social CRM is doing in China. And what you are saying in presentation that your mission, mission of Jing Digital is we empower brands to create valuable personal connection with their customers at scale. So I really like this introduction. Um, to name a few of your clients, LVMH, Tiffany, Net-A-Porter. So we see that you are very strong in the luxury segment, but also Dupont, HP, Tableau, Daikin, Amway, Michael Page, Python. We see that it can also be B2B, it can also be for Chinese companies because uh, previously the names I mentioned were all international companies, foreign companies, probably in China. Um, we talk about 50 million followers tracked, 50 million, five zero, about 100 million actions per month track. So an action, I believe it's any engagement with one of those followers. Uh, to 24,000 queries per second, it looks like... Uh, very, very um, um, techy and, and geeky to say all this, but the number of queries per second uh, and 24,000 shows the volume and the server you need to process uh, to, to support your client. And a team now of 130 people. Um, I'd like to add up a bit more on the presentation. Jing uh, Digital is working in a field known as social CRM. But surprisingly, in all the documents you send to me, you are not using much the word social CRM. You are using the word marketing um, optimization, marketing automation, but rarely social CRM. That's something I like to know why later on, because you are built Jing Digital on a social network, which is WeChat. And this differentiation is not small compared to the West, where marketing automation is mainly through the brand.com from the website, where you would retarget, you would push messages from the website, and the website is the cornerstone. In China, the cornerstone has become WeChat because e-commerce interaction with clients has grown in China with marketplaces. And the only way to create what we call now a big word, private traffic and to own the relationship with your clients is to go through WeChat. Um, 
to f to to end the introduction, which is very long already, I like to quote Bain Company, which is a company you know, right? Well, because I I, I understood that you you worked at Bain at the beginning of your career. Uh, Bain is saying that a four, five percent increase in customer retention can positively affect pro profitability by over seventy five percent. I believe that's quite easy to understand. Uh, basically, when you get clients to come back to you and repurchase, um, you don't have to spend too much cost at acquiring them and you will basically just spend the viable cost on your product, which could be like 25% if we follow the thinking of, of Bain. So, um, Kai, you joined um, Jing Digital actually in 2017, not at the start. Before that, you started very successful company. Actually, we are using at, at Dashway, Cap Vision, and also another one called iBaby Map. Uh, you exited Cap Vision successfully, and now here we are uh, talking about Ding Digital. Is everything correct in what I said, and would you like to add anything? Uh, no, that was perfect. Uh, that was a great recap, Matthew. Thank you. So, in this episode, I hope we could go through the solution of Jing Digital in itself and to understand a bit more about the market of SaaS and social CRM. We may use some acronym like SCRM for social CRM. Hopefully, uh, the audience can follow us. So to start with, I'd like to, I'd like to always start with this question about the size of the company. Um, I understand you, it's about 130 people, about 200, 200 more clients now. What about revenue? Could you share uh, uh, numbers about revenues or ranges? Uh, well, you know, Matthew, uh, that's something uh, we don't share in detail. Uh, now, you know, we've been growing at uh, uh, about 100% uh, on compound basis uh, for the past four or five years. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're generating a few million uh, dollars uh, in revenue. Uh, is it is it um, too much to ask if you reach already the ten million USD and you overcome the ten million, or it's still in the bracket between one to ten? Uh, we are getting very close to the mark. Okay, okay. Um, so, how did you get this uh, uh, market share among luxury brands and those brands which are specifically careful, very very careful? about their relationship with their clients. If I want to give you my perspective on that and, 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 and share why I'm, I'm insisting on that, if there is one type of company which is especially careful on how to interact with clients, it's luxury brands and you got them. You got LVMH, which is one of the biggest players in the field. How did you get this market share in this industry? How did you convince them to work with you? Great, uh, that's a great question. So I, I think uh, um, we have to look at uh, the trend uh, why uh, the MarTech marketing automation became a very popular tool in the China market. You know, in the past uh, 20 years, uh, virtually all companies somehow made money in this market uh, because of a variety of reasons, right? So for one, the traffic cost, meaning the cost of acquiring customers was relatively low, right? I mean, you could easily place SEO, SEM, and then you get customers. Uh, but now, uh, in the past four or five years, uh, things have changed dramatically. So the cost of lease acquisition has um, climbed uh, to historical high, right? No matter what channel you are leveraging, um, you are paying a lot more money than before. 
right? So essentially, um, the old way of making money is not working anymore, right? So if the companies can control the cost of lease acquisition and they have to somehow focusing, uh, focus on conversion, right? So this is the broader trend to why uh, marketing automation has all of a sudden become very popular among companies. Now, the luxury companies were essentially on the uh, front line, uh, on the frontier of this change. You know, for one, uh, they have very, very high ticket price, right? So uh, they could afford uh, experimenting a lot of new technologies, for example, right? And uh, uh, secondly, their customers are very uh, picky, right? I mean, if you pay, if you are paying a few thousand dollars for a bag, I mean, you are uh, demanding uh, in many ways, including the way how you interact with the brands. Uh, in the past, so the way how the brands communicated with uh, the customers uh, globally was through emails, right, EDMs. Uh, but in this market, in China, EDM, uh, email is just not a very effective way of communication, right? So all the brands leveraging EDM have a long story to tell about how low the open rate is. Now, what is the alternative? Well, you know, that presented uh, itself uh, in WeChat, WeChat. So in 2011-12, so WeChat uh, was born, right? So it very quickly became the most powerful and popular communication tool uh, in China. And around 2014, uh, WeChat opened essentially uh, the official accounts. So every company can now have um, its own official account in WeChat, right? So the open rate um, in that platform is much, much, much higher than EDMs. So essentially now all of a sudden, the brands have uh, a very effective um, opportunity to more effectively communicate uh, with the brands, with brands. And now that kind of communication has two main advantages, right? One, which is very uh, attractive for luxury brands is uh, the format is very diverse, right? You can do video, you can do audio, you can do like uh, fancy pictures, you can launch campaigns on WeChat, right? So this is exactly what those luxury brands, uh, what, what they need. And uh, the second advantage, which is also very um, attractive to the luxury brands, was the real-time uh, fashion, right? So if you are on EDMs, uh, well, you know, uh, you can really interact with your customers in a real-time fashion. So you can really retarget your content, your actions based on what the customers are telling you and their online behavior. Now on WeChat, that changed, right? So on WeChat, you can actually do the real-time uh, retargeting, all these features and functionalities that make the communication more attractive and more, uh, more effective also, right? So this is why luxury brands were the first ones uh, that embraced this, uh, this uh, uh, new technology, new application of technology here. So, you know, obviously I said luxury brands, they are, they are picky, right? So in order to be able to serve them well, uh, you just have to have a stellar uh, customer success team, right? That really take care of the customers. And obviously you've got to have a very uh, stable and secure uh, platform, right? Well, you know, by the end of the day, data security is really uh, at the heart of the core for those brands. I see. Data security was key to convince them? 
Yeah, so secure, data security is very, very important uh, in this uh, context. Uh, so um, th this is another, this is another uh, aspect, I think, uh, that, um, that needs to be taken into account, right? So when uh, companies start adopting SaaS solutions or SaaS companies start talking to, uh, you know, bigger brands, right, uh, who have that kind of, uh, you know, uh, concerns. I see. Um, I got it about the history of, of uh, EDM to, to WeChat and how uh, it replaced basically EDM compared to the West. But my, 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 still a question about how, why you? Because when, when, why Jing Digital, um, was picked by those luxury brands? When you look at agencies, uh, digital agencies, they all claim they worked for um, uh, a lot of companies. And when you look at different, di different digital agencies, you see that they work for the same clients. You tell yourself, how come they work all of them for the same clients? But actually, they worked on different campaigns. They worked on different aspects. But when you take care of the CRM, there's only one player. There's only one supplier. So basically, um, you were better than the other ones because they had to choose only one of them to be able to plug with their official WeChat when it's about the brand of LVMH, for instance, or VMH Group. So wh why you and not why is, why is the other solutions? Yeah, uh, again, so uh, as I kind of uh, mentioned uh, at the beginning, Matthew, this is a very good question. So what are uh, the key criteria for the luxury brands? to select solutions, right? Uh, one, obviously, is uh, uh, the richness of the feature. So let me give you a quick example, right? Okay. okay. So there are essentially um, one of the key features for the brands to onboard this type of solutions is to be able to track the data uh, of the users and also to tag them, right? Because the brand wanted to understand the attributes, the behavior of uh, the customers. Yeah. Uh, now, um, the flexibility of the platform essentially to provide uh, tagging. So do you only allow the brands to have limited room for creating their own tag? Or uh, the brands can really have a very high degree of freedom in creating those tags, right? So this is one of the key differentiators, for example, right? So essentially the, the richness of the feature and the flexibility of the platform, this is for one. And then secondly, uh, it's really about uh, the customer service, right? So, uh, you know, we have a customer success team. So that really helps the customers solve their issues, platform related, right? It's the second thing. And the third one, uh, that's kind of, uh, you know, chicken egg, right? So um, at the beginning, it's always hard, right? But over time, when you have proven your solutions uh, with many global brands, and once you have accumulated operational knowledge, right, based on your experience with those brands, now that gives you credibility because the advices and uh, that you'll be able to give to the brands is a lot more valuable, right? So, uh, I see. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a quick example is uh, we all know that the real-time uh, communication is very important to the brands. Now, oftentimes, uh, the brands face the challenge, right? So after uh, a customer scan a QR code in a store, uh, when, should you, when should the brands again engage with the customer? Is this after one day or after half day or after half an hour, right? 
So depending on the time frame, time horizon you choose, the response rate could be very, very different, right? Now, only after you have served many brands, you have a very good experience curve. You know exactly so in which type of circumstances, what should be the, what should be the time the brand should wait to re-engage with the customer, right? So there are many, many examples like this. Uh, the knowledge, the domain uh, knowledge that could only be accumulated after you have served, uh, you know, uh, yeah, there are many brands. I see. I feel that what you are providing actually when listening to you right now is not only the SaaS, the technical solution, it's also the service behind it, the advisory behind it, uh, the ability to also guide the brand on what's working and what's less working because you have experience, you have some way as a visibility on 50 million followers tracked on your platform. I am correct to say that's a way for you to decrease yourself from, let's say, um, more um, uh, local solutions and maybe also cheaper solution and protecting also your pricing. Uh, yes, yes. I think, uh, um, you know, uh, Matthew, that's uh, the core. This topic is, is really at the heart of, uh, of uh, many brands. So I generally, I think there are, um, you know, two aspects, right? One is uh, SaaS and one is essentially uh, the operational support, right? The, the service. Now, uh, in the past, uh, many brands uh, globally, right, they, especially those bigger brands, they tend to adopt, uh, you know, the, a on-premise solution or private deployments. So they wanted the solution to be deployed on their own server or, you know, uh, on their own private cloud. So, uh, but now two things have changed this trend, right? So this is why companies also in China are starting to embrace uh, SaaS. For one, SaaS has been a global trend. If you look at the phenomenal success of Salesforce, you know, uh, that explains itself. And also, um, marketing automation, this is a very interesting spaces uh, here in China. So, in order to build a very powerful marketing automation machine, uh, the companies, well, the solution providers have to leverage uh, platforms like WeChat, for example, right? So this is the underlying platform. But now, because the digital landscape, including WeChat, changes so rapidly, right? So for instance, their APIs change all the time, right? So in order to cope with this challenge, the solution providers have to be very agile, very agile. So I mean, uh, in, in regard uh, of ourselves, I mean, we have every two weeks uh, a new sprint, a new release, right? This is how agile we're trying to be. Now, if you are a private deployment company, right? So you can really uh, provide that kind of agility to all of your customers because the cost structure does not allow you to do so. So this is why you know, when the luxury brands, when the retailers or virtually all companies, when they now consider adopting a marketing automation solutions uh, in China, they slowly realize that a private deployment uh, might not be the way to go, right? So either uh, your cost structure does not support uh, this type of agility, which is required in order for the system not to uh, fail, right? Uh, or you pay a very little money, amount of money to the providers, but then the agility is not really provided, right? 
So uh, this is on the tech side, right? So the uh, SaaS side, why SaaS, uh, especially on in the MarTech space, has been uh, accelerating its growth. Now on the operational side of things, I think there's a, a difference between uh, you know strategy support uh, and and uh, operational support. Uh, as you mentioned before, Matthew, there are many many uh, agencies uh, that are focusing on the luxury space. They provide strategy support. They help the brands uh, design their uh, digital transformation, design different kind of campaigns. This is what they do, right? But on the other hand, what we actually provide is the support uh, that's based on the operational experiences that we have. So those are not, you know, strategic strategy advisory. It's more like operational on the operational side, because by the end of the day, we are a SaaS company. We are trying to help the companies really maximize uh, their maximize the effectiveness uh, when they use our platform. So our advisory service are limited to the oper operational uh, side of things. About your team, you say you say you are a SaaS company first and then a service company. How what's the split between the tech guys and uh, the service people? Uh, you mean within our company, how we balance that? Yeah, uh, I, I I got from um, Sofia that it was mainly uh, developers in your team of 130 people. Uh, but how does it split more precisely? Oh, uh, we're around 130 people and we have over 70, uh, you know, product product related uh, personnel, meaning I product see. designer, R&D. Yeah, I see. So there is about 60 people um, for management and the service in itself. And um, how, how would it split? Oh, uh, and then we have a, a sales team, right? So SaaS company, yeah. uh, I think there's someone who, uh, who, who said, uh, uh, you know, the product doesn't really sell itself alone, right? Uh, no matter how great the product is, you still have to have a great sales team. That's exactly how yeah, we yeah. do it. So we have, uh, you know, a, a decent size of, um, you know, sales team, and we have customer success. That's the team that provides services, uh, customer support uh, to the, you know, uh, to the team, uh, to the customers. And then there's some overheads, right? Like like me uh, as the biggest overhead, for example. <laughs> I see. Um... What about pricing? I'd like to understand uh, your pricing strategy as well to give a bit of understanding of the audience uh, at what at what level you start in terms of pricing. Uh, for SaaS business, pricing is is really um, a headache, a key topic, because you cannot price on your cost because your viable costs in some way are low, it's about servers, but your fixed costs are high because it's about an investment to develop the software. So pricing is always a, a guess on how fast you will grow in order to uh, pay off basically the investment. So what kind of pricing have you decided to apply? Uh, yeah, so this is a great question. So um, we are priced along three uh, dimensions, right? So there are three factors that influence that. Uh, you know, the, for one, uh, we are priced essentially uh, by how many accounts, uh, how many official accounts each brand, each company has. Uh, because we consider each uh, official account, uh, company official account in WeChat as a separate pool, right? A separate pool uh, for, the, for the brands to 
gather uh, their potential customers and customers, right? So it's by pool. Uh, and secondly, um, the, we are also considering how many products they are using, right, from our portfolio. So we have like four portfolios, right? So at the beginning, we started only with one product, but over time, we kind of diversified, right? So for example, a, a lot of uh, B2B brands, meaning the chemicals, the high tech, they don't actually run a lot of campaigns, right? So, but for luxury brands or retailers or education, they run campaigns all the time. So if a brand wants to track the data on different campaigns, then there is a separate product called Jing Track they have to use, right? So this is one. And then secondly, you know, we started becoming the ISVs of Salesforce, uh, for example, right? So if a brand wants to connect our solution, uh, WeChat, with uh, the Salesforce uh, you know, infrastructure, global infrastructure, uh, there is a product exactly for that purpose, Scott Jing Connect, right? So there are many, many uh, new products. So depending on how many products they use, they have to uh, essentially uh, compensate, uh, you know, uh, proportionally. Yeah, the four products being Jing Social, Jing Sales, Jing Connect, Jing Track. Yes, and then we have, you, you are correct, uh, there is another product called Jing Sales. This is based on uh, WeChat Work. This is also a very, very interesting uh, product we can talk about later because WeChat Work uh, is a big trend uh, recently. So yeah, this is uh, the second dimension, right? So the, the depth of the product line, uh, well, you know, the diversity of the product line that the brands are using. And then the third dimension is uh, how many followers, so how many potential customers are in each pool. So if you are a B2B company, you don't have that many fans, right? You probably have 100,000 fans. Uh, now, in that case, you obviously uh, pay less than a luxury brands or retail brands that has millions of followers in their um, official accounts. So those three factors uh, impact essentially the pricing of, uh, of uh, uh, each brand. Um, but bottom line is the economics combined has to be superior, has to be superior than a custom development or a private deployment. Well, that would make sense for the customers to adopt SaaS. We found online that um, the starting price would be about 1,000 USD, uh, which would be comparable to Salesforce in some way. Um, is it correct to, to say so um, or, or it's not correct? Yeah, roughly. Uh, you know, the, okay. yeah, the price in the ratio starts at uh, about 1,000 USD per month. Yeah, and we saw also that you were targeting uh, companies which are doing at least 100 million GMB in China because I, from my understanding, is that if they don't reach 100 million GMB, uh, they wouldn't have enough engagement interaction with, with their clients. Is it really something you're targeting only companies reaching at least 100 million GMB, which is like 15 million USD? Uh, yes, correct. So the way how we think about this market is uh, uh, the companies operating in China, uh, well, the, especially the Chinese companies, uh, they are, including myself, right? Uh, we are very pragmatic, very pragmatic. Um, so we like all the tools, solutions that help us generate revenues, uh, revenues. So, uh, and uh, we also like the tools that help us increase productivity. 
But any solutions helping the companies sell more uh, sells better too, right? Uh, sells better. Uh, so what we tell the customers has always been, uh, we are not a cost center, right? So we're not helping you yeah. uh, increase productivity and so on. I mean, we only have one mission. We help you make more money. We help you convert more leads. So by adopting our solutions, you are essentially going to make more money, right? So uh, this is why we actually have never run into issues where the companies are, you know, uh, skeptical about the value. Uh, once they see the demo, um, they hear the case studies. Uh, and then the next question typically is, uh, now, you know, uh, let's talk about uh, exactly the pricing scheme and so on. So, and once they see uh, the, how many leads could potentially be uh, generated by uh, how many campaigns uh, through which a route, so, uh, you know, pricing becomes less an issue to them because 1,000 USD per month, that's less than 100,000 uh, RMB per year. Comparing with the, uh, the additional revenue they can expect to generate, uh, you know, clearly that's, uh, you know, uh, essentially not uh, something that prevents them from adopting the solutions. So we're very comfortable with that kind of hurdle, right? 100 million. Yeah, clearly. I believe the, the question is more on the competition, right? Because uh, some competitors may offer uh, low, lower prices or may also offer different schemes. So it's more difficult to compare. Um, and uh, because the return on investment is pretty uh, obvious, a lot of marketers uh, know they have to use marketing automation. I've already, I've already used or are using marketing automation. Um, and that's a big decision for them because it's very difficult to exit a marketing automation software. So uh, decision on who to use uh, might uh, not be only on the price in itself, it's a return, it's also the cost of exiting. It's a very complex question to, to answer which one to use and to, to choose. Um, I'd like to, to add up one question about um, basically revenues and profit, uh, which one part is pricing, the other part is uh, how much money raised because uh, the, other, um, uh, the other aspect of um, um, how aggressive you can be on the pricing is also linked to how much uh, was raised to, to start the business. So how much money have you raised and from whom? Okay. So uh, in the past, uh, the company has primarily been financed uh, by the founders, by ourselves. Uh, you know, for one, because uh, we, uh, I mean, we all are uh, serial entrepreneurs. So uh, we kind of financed uh, the companies in the first uh, three, four years. And in the past two years, we also um, uh, were fortunate uh, to have uh, worked with some private investors as well through uh, two, three rounds of convertible notes. So that's where we are. I see. Uh, uh, are you communicating on the on the level of money you you raise? We see that you're uh, online. That your uh, social capital uh, in in China is about five or six million RMB. I I don't have it on on, on in my mind, but roughly this. Uh, I believe the convertible notes. Um, it's more loan you could convertible in equity afterwards. So it doesn't give a clear picture on how much you raised. Oh yeah, I mean the social capital is just a nominal number that you have to yeah. uh, enter when you register a company. 
So uh, you know we are a VIE company, right? So and uh, I see. Yeah, we are a VIE company, uh, and uh, so we have raised uh, so far uh, from external investors uh, around five to ten uh, million US. Yeah. Okay, that that makes more sense. That, that I was pretty surprised that it could be lower than one million USD to start such a business. Um, yeah. Um, so to 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 um, to give a bit more background to people who listen to us who may not be familiar with the word VIE. VIE means viable interest equity. Uh, that's the the way uh, Baidu, Sindong uh, Fang, uh, so the New Oriental Education company is structured to be listed uh, overseas. Uh, that means to raise capital in a segment which is not open to foreign investment, you need a VIE. I'm not going to go more in details, but basically a SaaS uh, business is restricted to foreigners. A foreign company cannot start a SaaS business. Moreover, with all those data protection uh, law now, uh, it's even more complex, I believe, uh, for foreign players. But that certainly is the reason why you are a VIE. Uh, I, I'm, I'm speaking under your control. Th that, that's correct, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that's the reason. Um, so you are using the word uh, marketing automation a lot, but you are not using the word social CRM. Is there something I'm missing that you made the, the choice to... Um, use the word marketing automation instead of social CRM. Because when I look at your solution, it's very, very WeChat centric. I understand that you can connect with other solutions, other CRM, ERP, DMP maybe, uh, and the brand.com website too. But at the center of it, and I believe other solutions also are talking about WeChat. Uh, as 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 a social and 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 the solution as a social CRM because WeChat is the center. Yeah. So so, so why why are you talking about marketing automation more than social CRM? Okay. Uh, so um, there are two reasons, right? One, um, I feel every time when I go out present uh, or speak, um, social CRM is something a buzzword. That just requires a lot of uh, explanation, right? Sometimes that just derails the whole conversation, right? So marketing automation is a word that everybody, all the marketers understand. So, and more importantly, when you explain to marketers who are familiar with solutions like Marketo and the hotspots, uh, they, they know what it is about, right? So we just tell them, right? So we do something similar but with a very different approach, uh, approach that suitable for China. So marketing automation is something that just explains uh, itself. So uh, yeah, this is for, for one. And the second reason- I see. Yeah, the second reason might just be me. Um, social CRM for me is something relatively static. Right? CRM is a system, it's a platform. Marketing okay. automation is more dynamic, right? It explains, it's a process uh, that helps you drive essentially a certain process of your uh, marketing and that drives results. So uh, yeah, that word I think just uh, it, uh, reaches the audience uh, much more effectively. That's true. That reveals much more uh, the reach uh, and uh, the opportunities uh, that your solution is unlocking because I looked at your solution through a video uh, you sent to, to, to me, a 30-minute video, and indeed, uh, through the, all the features you have, it shows how much you can uh, 
automatize, you can plan, you can organize, and you can segment, and you can enrich as well with uh, different uh, different uh, sources uh, so to 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 socialize to sell to connect and to track to uh, with with your full product it, it's very clear uh, through your your back end on how everything is articulating it's much more than an organization of data and social CRM might give the feeling it's more organization of data you are also organizing the engagement so I understand now why marketing automation makes more sense um, Talking about the features, so I went through your video, a uh, very interesting video, uh, and what I really like in your in your in your software in your backend is that it's easy to understand. It's easy to see where I will go through. Uh, it's easy to um, to uh, start a journey, for instance, and when I will engage with a customer, it, it's much easier, for instance, than. I'm telling you, from uh, a Facebook advertising platform, which is very complex, even um, Google AdWords is very complex. Yours is very easy, much easier from like like uh, than Zoho, for instance, the Zoho, the famous uh, Indian CRM company. Um, so, could you tell us the main features that the the companies? Um, are interested in when they use your software. And at the opposite, the other question would be, what are the features that most companies ignore and you think they, they actually should not ignore? Okay, okay. Yeah, so uh, we don't want to take all the credit for, uh, <laughs> for creating a very um, you know, easy solution because the story is very easy. I mean, the, the story uh, is supposed to be easy for the brands to understand. So um, just to very briefly recap what we do, the features, um, we do a few things, right? Uh, one, we help company uh, essentially better understand uh, their customers. So um, after adopting our solution, our solution will help the brands to track the user behavior in the WeChat ecosystem, right? So WeChat ecosystem is very diverse. It has over a billion uh, MAU now, nowadays, right? So there are mini programs, there are H5 campaigns, there are official accounts post, uh, there are mini site, there are WeChat commerce, uh, and sometimes they have a backend CRM, uh, they have loyalty and all kind of uh, incumbent infrastructure. So what we do is either we help the brands track uh, the use behavior uh, natively using our platform, or we integrate uh, the uh, adjacent infrastructure, uh, the systems like loyalty, CRM, and so on, with uh, our platform. So in order for the brand to be able to come up with a 360-degree user profile, uh, understand the user and coming up with a comprehensive profile that's sort of you know what every marketer uh, wants to, to do, and we help the marketers exactly to do that. This is the first thing what we do, and the second thing uh, after the brands have accumulated a huge base of customers and with a very detailed profile, uh, they wanted to do segmentation, right? That's something we help them do as well, using different metrics and dimensions and filtering. Uh, they come up with their segments, right? So for example, they can say. 
I wanted to filter out all the female users who participated a certain campaign in the Shanghai region in the past month, uh, and also who in the past have purchased the three bags, right? So that kind of segmentation can be easily done on the platform. And then the third one is, um, you know, after you have segmented your users, you wanted to create and execute um, automated uh, consumer journeys, right? So using the same example as before, now after you have filtered out this certain uh, segments, you want to say, okay, I wanted to send this group of people a coupon, right? Now, depending on the results, whether someone redeemed that coupon or not, I wanted to invite this person to a cocktail party or uh, send them some uh, feedback sheet, right? So this type of uh, consumer journeys can be designed and executed automatically. The third one. And the fourth, uh, for every um, marketing automation platform, you want it to be, uh, the brands want to be able to create the content very easily. By the end of the day, it's a social platform, right? So we have a very powerful content management system. So on which the users are then able to create very uh, rich uh, and diverse kind of contents uh, on it, uh, audio and video and so on. And then the last one is the BI, the analytics, right? So the users want to be able to report to the boss why they use this platform, right? So what results they can make visible to their key stakeholders. So those five things are the core features that uh, uh, our core platform uh, provides, right? Then uh, we mentioned there are some other product lines, right? Like, uh, you know, Jing Connect, connecting uh, the main platform with the Salesforce, with SAP and so on. And there is also Jing Sales, right? That enables uh, the brands to empower their uh, frontline Salesforce uh, to sell more. So those are additional products and features. And what we realize, uh, what the brands uh, sometimes not pay enough attention to, uh, there are a few things, right? One is, um, I think, the system integration. So no matter how powerful the marketing automation or the social CRM is, is only one side of the story. It's only one portion of the user data. There's still abundant data that are coming from other uh, adjacent platforms. So, for example, if a company has a CRM platform, a CRM database system, right? So the CRM has a lot of very powerful user data that can be that should be leveraged when the brands do retargeting, right? So uh, if I know a purchase intent of a customer based on the behavioral data, this is fantastic. But if I if I also know that this particular person is actually my gold member, or this person has not purchased yet uh, anything yet in the past, that could be uh, it, that could add additional color uh, to the you know uh, the whole uh, user profile and can make the re the retargeting process a lot more effective. So this is why uh, we always tell the brands uh, the first step is to launch uh, the marketing automation. The second step is the integration between the MA marketing automation and other uh, adjacent platforms like loyalty, uh, customer service, and so on. This is one. And the second thing that we observe that brands sometimes not um, do enough of 
is the uh, integration with uh, with uh, uh, or the collaboration the collaboration between marketing and the sales this is the organi organizational uh, challenge right so uh, the value of the of the marketing uh, or the value of adopting those marketing tools is to provide uh, to the front line um, the sales force or the advisors with more information with more knowledge about the users that they can be using uh, when they uh, engage with the customers, right? So sometimes we, we see that uh, in a lot of organizations, marketing and sales are still uh, siloed uh, departments. So there's no enough communication between them. The technology is there. Technolo technology is never the barrier. It's really about uh, the organizational, the change management, how they can work together. In your documentation, you say that you can interact with the brand.com, the website itself, and other, uh, other digital assets. Um, how do you interact with them? Um, it, it, it seems that WeChat is a pretty closed ecosystem, as every ecosystem in, in China compared to the West, where ecosystems are much more open. For instance, let's say retargeting seems much more difficult in China than in the West, because all those ecosystems are closed. Uh, how do you interact with the other digital assets outside of WeChat? Uh, yeah, so this is a very important uh, remark, um, Matthew. So we are actually in this very uh, interesting space here in China. On the one hand, there are a lot of avenues that the brands could use to reach the customers. On the other hand, unfortunately, most of them, they are closed. So WeChat is actually uh, the most open platform uh, among all of them. So WeChat has very comprehensive APIs available to the third-party developers like us to do a lot of very innovative things on it. So this is only, this is actually, uh, unfortunately, the only open platform uh, right now that brands can use. Uh, and there are some other platforms that are very, um, are becoming very popular now. We talk about TikTok, uh, we talk about the red, uh, when you do beauty fashion, the red is a channel that's very important right now. And we talk about the Weibo, right? So a trend that we observed in the past is that in terms of the mind share, in terms of the, the time that the customers spend on WeChat, uh, in terms of the open rate uh, of the articles, um, those metrics on WeChat have been slowly declining a little bit in the past uh, two years, I think. Uh, so, but on the other hand, the service-related uh, messages or engagements or interactions are actually rapidly increasing. So it means that if the brands wanted to increase awareness, they wanted to diversify their investment. They wanted to put more money now into the red, into TikTok, uh, and so on, right? But however, if they wanted to do, uh, if they wanted to be able to track the user behavior at the user level, right? And if they wanted to be able to have a real-time personalized retargeting this type of engagement, uh, they can only do that on WeChat. So WeChat to a certain degree becomes more and more as a central hub 
for uh, for the brands when they interact with customers. Meaning, as a the service nature, the service nature of WeChat has become a lot more uh, obvious and important in the past two years. So there's interesting shift. Uh, you know, uh, e even within WeChat ecosystem, how the brands use WeChat. Um, the related question to that, to use all the digital assets, is also about what kind of unique ID are you using? From my understanding, um, the unique ID and the data which can link all the digital assets you have, including your own CRM, right? It would be the phone number, which enables to actually uh, correlate your data in your DMP, uh, in your CRM, ERP, and uh, uh, WeChat. Am I correct that the phone number is still the key to identify the lead client people you interact with? Uh, yes, correct. So phone number is still the most important uh, anchor connecting the dots in different systems. So when we talk about users uh, on WeChat platform, each user is identified uh, with a uh, open ID, right? In each of the official accounts they follow. Um, but that open ID does not mean anything when you talk to a CRM, when you talk to ERP. Right, because open ID is only valid within the WeChat ecosystem, right? So this is why, uh, because uh, Matthew, you are asking what kind of features or tactics that's um, very important, but sometimes uh, brands forget to use. Uh, binding is one of those, right? So because if you wanted to have the different platforms talk to each other, you wanted to essentially come up with a holistic, comprehensive. Uh, profile of users, you have to integrate different systems. Now you have to use one common ID identifier to connect the dots. Uh, right now in China, you are right. So cell phone number is still the most important, the most popular, the most effective uh, identifier to uh, integrate, to connect all the dots. We talk a lot about data, and uh, when we talk about data in the West, whether it is in Europe and the US, we think about regulations. We think about uh, GDRP, right? I feel like I, I may not the right acronym, but um, that's a regulation on how to use data and what you can store on your server in Europe. Uh, what are the regulations in China and what are the constraints in terms of uh, privacy law, in terms of uh, collecting and storing data? How do you cope with that? We talked about the phone numbers. Do you need to, to have the agreement of people to store it? Uh, how much can you store? Well, you know, um, there are a few things, right? Uh, one, the data that's collected within the WeChat ecosystem are the behavioral data, right? So mm -hmm. if you don't collect the cell phone numbers, those are the data that are essentially attached to an open ID consisting of 64 digits. So it doesn't mean anything uh, to any outsiders, right? So this is for one, uh, the categorization of the data, the behavioral data, this is one. And then secondly, in terms of the storage of data, there are a number of international organizations they have different standards, right? So that guide the company through uh, in terms of how to build your data security uh, processes within your company. 
So for example, we have this ISO 2701 certification, right? So there are uh, very strict rules in terms of the data access within the organization, right? And the third one is where the data is actually stored. Uh, you mentioned two very important uh, laws, one's GDPR and one's the Chinese uh, you know, cybersecurity laws, right? So, and uh, uh, the regulations are very uh, clear. So if you wanted to essentially um, serve uh, a entity in China, and uh, those are Chinese citizens, and you wanted to essentially store data in China, right? So our data is uh, housed on uh, AliCloud, for example, right? So now there are uh, foreign companies, there are foreign companies that are also having uh, a very uh, strict rules to follow. And then for that instance, we have different kind of technologies uh, to help the companies comply with these laws, right? So for, for example, we have a solution called PII uh, server. So certain information that are critical or that are categorized as very confidential uh, for the particular brands, those data just go straight to those uh, PII servers on-premise or on the private cloud of those brands. They don't go through us. So there, there are different solutions to help the brands to comply with, the, with their respective uh, you know, uh, laws and, uh, and rules. Yeah. I, I see. Um, is, is it um, a, a key factor you believe uh, that uh, for a reason to choosing you that you are very compliant or you feel that's not really a differentiating factor for your clients to select you? So compliance is a very, very important factor for the brands. So, I mean, we have, most of our brands are multinationals, the global, the Fortune 500, right? So uh, almost for every company, we actually went through a very stringent security review process. There are hundreds of questions that you needed to, that we needed to uh, fill out. And oftentimes we have to ship our you know, platform, our code to the US, to Europe for security uh, scanning, right? For security scanning. So, or penetration test, penetration test, right? So we're kind of used to that kind of, uh, you know, very stringent uh, security check. And I think this is actually necessary. And over time, that also becomes a competitive uh, barrier, right? Because not every company can stand this, you know, type of penetration test or security <laughs> scanning or review. I, I believe you have developed some principle and thought about it. As you say, it's a one billion dollar uh, um, uh, question. So, uh, how do you manage the expectation of clients while looking for always more? And sometimes it's it could be a detail. Sometimes it could be distracting. Sometimes it could be not proven. Uh, let's say it's a platform which is just starting, and you don't know if it's going to be massive. But clients are seeing a, a, a maybe a. Uh, um, uh, uh, starting an opportunity here to see an opportunity. Uh, how do you manage expect a client expectations? One of the answer you could have is to tell your clients if you want to do something uh, unique and uh, for this feature you can do it uh, with another company which is developing and you may have a network of companies to to refer to them. Uh, has it happened? Uh, I think uh, Matthew, there are uh, the first thing is that the company says company. Uh, we have to choose our customers, right? So 
if we realize that the customers uh, want to have a bespoke solution, uh, we just have to um, tell them uh, in honesty and we don't compete in that space. And uh, the second thing is, uh, you know, if we realize that the feature during the process, after we start serving them, that they have requests that fall under the category that could help us productize, uh, we'll do them. And if not, uh, we will decline politely uh, requests. Now, there's another thing uh, that we recently started deploying. So oftentimes, uh, if those are work that we believe can be outsourced to partners, uh, we also do outsourcing. So for example, the customers wanted to have a, a loyalty program right? one year into collaboration with us, but loyalty is not what we do. So we essentially bring in another partner that does loyalty or membership right, on top of uh, what we do. So yeah, uh, that way we try to solve that issue. I see. I think that's one of the key learning I, I got from tech entrepreneurs who have to manage uh, developers and your features. When it's not in the core of your product and not in your roadmap, um, tell the salespeople to find a partner to develop it for the client in order to ease the sales process. It seems to be a pattern among tech entrepreneurs to think this way, not to be distracted. That, that's very interesting learning. Um, I'd like to talk about the competition uh, to, to, and, and then after more about your own journey as an entrepreneur. Uh, but to end up on, on the product of, of Jing Digital, um, I'd like to understand how you see the competition uh, so, yeah, the competition, uh, like, uh, like every space, um, every domain, um, you know, once that comes to uh, public attention, once uh, it becomes attractive, they're just uh, very quickly uh, filled with uh, companies that are trying to compete with you, right? So uh, there are several types of competition right now in the space. Uh, one is still companies that do uh, bespoke work. work. Uh, you know, uh, bespoke work. Uh, they do custom developments, that's for one. And uh, the second type uh, of competitors that are coming from other domains, for example, uh, companies that are used to do DMP or DSP, and they are transitioning in this space. Um. To end up the the the, the, um, the interview because I know you have um, a call uh, soon. Um, what what's the future of Jing Digital? How do you see the future for Jing Digital? Uh, yeah, so the market is uh, phenomenal. Uh, we see the growth. Uh, we are do a lot of uh, lead generation activities online, offline. Uh, we generate between fifteen hundred and two thousand leads every month. Right. So we are very encouraged by uh, the trend here. And uh, our goal, our future is we wanted to continue our uh, triple digits growth. Well, yeah, uh, essentially more than doubling every year for the next four or five years, revenue wise. Uh, and we wanted to uh, become uh, the, the best SaaS company here in China, uh, measuring by the most important metrics, right? the renewal and all this type of metrics. Uh, and, sure. we and we wanted to essentially create a company where uh, our team members can uh, flourish and uh, become successful with us together. Sounds a good plan.
thanks for staying with us uh, for this um, this interview and and exchanging and sharing your experience it was very instructive. Congratulations for everything you, you you did. Actually, we didn't talk about your past experience uh, with the companies you started before Capvision. Uh, what you what 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 you did as well uh, within EO, which is a very interesting uh, yeah. group of people. Uh, but that may be for another one. Uh, thanks very much for your time. Uh, I know you have a call soon, so I don't want to take too much. I really appreciate it, and, and I really enjoyed the talk. No, thank you, Matthew. Thank you for your time. We should catch up again. Yes. Talk soon. Okay, talk soon. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye.